Good morning. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of our pastors here at TBA on our lead pastor team. So glad you guys are here this morning and able to be a part of our worship. As you see from the video, we're continuing a series this morning called Keep Calm and Carry On. And really, we're just taking some time to talk about when we face those storms of life, when we face the trials that come along, where is our focus? Who are we looking to and how are we walking through those things? So we thought that would be a really appropriate title. Dave shared a lot of intro for it last week, so if you weren't able to be here and maybe you don't know where that's come from, you can go back and listen to his podcast and he'll tell you the whole story. He did a good job of setting up our series that we're jumping into. This morning as we jump into things, I really want to springboard off of some things that Dave did last week. As he was talking to us, he talked about what it means to weather the storms and how storms of life are going to come. It doesn't seem to matter what we do or how hard we try to avoid them. Storms of life just come along. For some of us, at times it seems like you just go from one storm to the next storm to the next storm and you kind of come up and gasp for air in between. You ever felt that way? Am I the only person who's ever felt that way? You are going to have to participate this morning. It's a rainy day outside. You've got to be engaged. You can't be sleepy. Come on. So from time to time we just have those experiences where it feels like we go from storm to storm. And one of the things that he asked us last week that I think really set us up to come into this week is are we even asking the right question? Because so many times when we face the storms of life, we ask the question, why? Why am I going through this? God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why am I here? What's going on with all this? In reality, maybe we should be asking a different question. God, what is it you're doing in me? God, what opportunity are you bringing my way as I face these hard times? God, what is it that you're trying to change in me or change in my character? What are you trying to develop in me? What are you trying to help me see? And it's not specifically that asking the question why is wrong, because sometimes we need to do that. There's times we need to have that introspect, and we need to look at things and go, why am I here? Why do I keep coming back here? You know, what is it that I'm doing that brings me to this place over and over and over? And we need to have that introspect to look at those things. Here's the struggle that I see. Too many times we get involved in looking within and having that introspect to ask that question, why? And it's so that we can fix it. I need to understand it so that I can do something about it. I need to be able to have better comprehension of what's going on within me so that I know how to act differently next time. And do you hear the problem within all of that? I, I, I. Why is this happening? How do I do something about it? And we're looking in the wrong places for the answers because we are trying to fix it instead of looking to God within our problems and our storms. You know, I'm kind of a school of hard knocks guy. My wife will attest to this. I'm one of those people that if you really want to convince me about something, you better hit me over the head with a two before because it's just not going to get through real easy. And I'm all about challenge and I like to like competition within things. And so as I think about trials and storms and how we walk through them, the first word that comes to my mind is discipline. Now here's the intriguing thing about discipline. There's two different kinds of discipline. There's reactive discipline where we face consequences because of decisions we've made, where we do things, we say or we do something, and it causes a consequence. And that kind of discipline is painful in some way always, whether it's emotional, physical, there's some kind of pain involved in those consequences. But Dave talked to us last week about how important that pain is because pain is that reminder to us of not to do that again. Sometimes it's self-inflicted, but just because we do something stupid, you reach out and you touch a hot stove. Ow! Don't do that. You remember next time, don't you? What reminds you not to touch the hot stove? It wasn't the warning light on the stove. It's the pain in your fingers, right? But that's what reactive discipline is. 
And it's like a parent to a child. We discipline our children because we want them to learn and grow in those moments. And we use pain or allow them to go through painful experiences so that they learn from that moment and they grow in that moment. It's a teaching tool, right? But then there's this other kind of discipline. There's proactive discipline. And this would be more like exercising or dieting or even spiritual disciplines, things like prayer or fasting or giving. It's things that often hurt just as much, either physically or emotionally, but it's not in response to something. It's not because of something we've done wrong. It's because we simply want to improve. We don't exercise because we did something wrong. Well, maybe sometimes we do. But normally we're exercising because we just want to be healthier. We want to be better. We want to be in better shape. We want to improve our bodies. It's the same thing with proactive discipline. So it's the same pain that we experience as we walk through it, either emotional pain or physical pain, but it is intended for our good. So there's reactive and proactive. Guess what? Discipline hurts, period. It doesn't matter why. Exercise hurts. Maybe not immediately, but the day after or two days later, Or three days later, or if you're over the age of 40, six days later, it just keeps hurting and hurting, doesn't it? But it was for a good cause. We're doing something good for our bodies. But it still hurts. And it's the same way with God. When we walk through those trials and those storms, when God is disciplining us, whether it's proactive or reactive, it doesn't matter. It hurts. It's hard. It's not easy to face up to. And some of the storms we walk through are really, really difficult. They leave us in situations where we feel completely hopeless. Some of the storms we walk through, they're eh, just a trial, just a little struggle, something we've got to get through. Either way, there's pain involved and there's teaching. But all discipline comes with a motivation of love. It comes with this motivation, this purpose behind it of making someone better, whether we're trying to make ourselves better or we're trying to make someone else better. Why do you discipline your kids? Not just because you want to hurt them or you want them to experience pain. You discipline them because you want them to be better people. You want them to learn from things. And it's the same as God speaks to us. Last week, Dave talked a lot about the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And that's a passage of Scripture that I love. And it talks about how important our faith is, how foundational it is to our walk with Christ. And how no matter what's going on in our lives, whether things are going well or going poorly, whether we're faced with a small trial or a huge trial, it doesn't matter Our faith is that foundation that we have to turn back to. And right after that Hebrews 11 passage is two of my favorite verses in Scripture. Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Now I read that, and I like that, because it's kind of that challenge type of thing. I look at it and I go, okay, this is a race. I can do this. You know, all I have to do is I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus and push through it and run the race, and I'll be good. It's just going to test my endurance, but I like a challenge. I, I can do this. And so these verses are encouraging to me. Here's the struggle. We read Hebrews 1 and 12, 1 and 2, and we read them by themselves all the time. And I've heard these used time and time again as illustrations. I've used them as illustrations. And they sound really pretty by themselves. 
But when you look at your Bible, there's a heading right in front of these two verses. And this is what it says in my NLT Bible. God's discipline proves his love. And I look at that and I go, what do you mean his discipline proves his love? We're just talking about running a race, a challenge set before us. I'm good with this. I can do it. The problem is verses 1 and 2 are part of a 13-verse section that we never finish reading. So let's look at what else it says, starting in verse 3. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child that is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. There's some hard things to swallow in that. God's discipline is always good for us? I don't like discipline. I don't like to have to exercise to get where I want. I don't like to have to go through hard things. I don't like to have to face consequences for decisions I make. But God's discipline is always good for us, no matter the storm, no matter what we're walking through, no matter the trial. He disciplines us because He loves us, because He views us as His children. And he wants to mold us and perfect us into his image. Had a little encounter with my girls a couple weeks ago. And I'm sure none of you are going to be able to relate to this because it's probably just my kids who do this. But I'm standing downstairs. They're supposed to be getting ready for school. I'm putting breakfast together and I hear this fight break out upstairs. Now again, I know none of your kids do this, but every once in a while my kids get in a little squabble. And so this fight breaks out and of course... I'm in a house full of girls, so they're fighting over shoes. Those are my boots. No, they're my boots. Who's going to wear the boots today? And it's, it just goes back and forth. So I'm standing in the kitchen thinking, you know, it's boots. They can handle this. They'll figure it out. They're going to fight it out and get it worked out. I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let them do it. They're going to handle the conflict. And I let it go, and I let it go, and I let it go, and I finally come to the place where I said, okay, I'm going to have to get involved and in fact, by the time I got involved, I ended up having to spank one of my daughters because of what had happened by that time. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole spanking or no spanking because I'm sure we all have differing opinions, but in our house, there's still a few things that we say deserve a spanking as discipline. And so I'm calling my daughter downstairs, and she knows what's coming because she knows what she's done. She knows the rule. She knows, here we go. It's coming. And she starts at the top of the stairs. But I didn't do anything. But she said this. Well, she did that. Well, she was ripping the boots out of my hand. Well, 
And all the excuses start flowing, all the justifications start happening, all the reasons why I didn't do it, I don't deserve a spanking, I only did it because she did this. Sound familiar? Parents, have you ever been there? Okay. And so she comes downstairs, and and again, now this is going to be hard for some of you who know me well, because you know I tend to be a bit of a reactionary person. But I was prepared this morning. I was calm, I was collected. So I bring her downstairs, I explain, here's what I heard, here's the things that I know that happen, here's the consequence that we've already stated a hundred times is going to happen when you do this, you're going to get a spanking. Put your hands on this love seat, it's time for the discipline to be carried out. Now mind you, she's only getting one swat, and it really was not that hard. But I get the same reaction that I get every time one of my daughters gets a spanking. The hysterical crying, the screaming, why did you spank us? Why do you hit us so hard? Why, did it, why this? Why that? You didn't even hit my bottom, you hit my back. Ah! And so I let her sit on the couch. I walk away into the other room, said, give her some time to collect her thoughts, get it together, then we'll come back and talk. So I come back and sit down beside her so we can talk. She's kind of calmed down now. Hysterical stuff is gone. I said, why do you think your mommy and I spank you? Because you want to teach us? You're right. So why is it that we use spanking to teach you? Because it hurts and it makes us remember? Exactly. Because it hurts and it makes you remember. We associate the physical pain that comes from that with the thing, the choice that we did that was wrong. And it helps us to remember to choose differently the next time around. And I said, do you think we spank you because we like it or because we just like to see you in pain? No. So why is it that we spank you? Because you love us and you want us to do better? Exactly. Because I love you. And because I want to see you grow up to be the woman that God has created you to be. And I want to see you learn how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. And I want to see you learn how to overcome these obstacles in your life. Because they're not going to get easier as you get older. They're going to get harder. And you're still going to have to face them. And you're still going to have to address them. And are you going to do it in the right way? Are you going to learn from these experiences? That's why. Now why is it that we think we're exempt from that as adults? Why is it that we still react the same exact way as adults? We do something, we make a decision that we know we shouldn't have made, that we know was wrong, and yet we run from the consequences and we're just like that child coming down the steps going, no, 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 she did this, he did that, well, he made me do that, well, I I didn't really do anything wrong, why am I getting in trouble? Don't we? Isn't that how we react when consequences come? We're trying to get away from the pain. We're bracing for it. Going, ah, I don't want the consequences. I don't want to deal with the discipline. And the problem is, we're just like my daughter. When we're hysterical and we're screaming back, and why, 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 why? We have no idea what's going on. But when we stop and think about it, we realize that God's there with us the whole time as a loving father saying, here's why you're going through the discipline. Here's what I'm trying to teach you in this. Here's what you need to learn from this. And I'm walking with you on this journey. And yeah, it's not a spanking that we're going through. It's other things that are happening in our lives. 
And it doesn't matter whether it's proactive or reactive as far as discipline goes. It's still something God's walking through with us so that He can help us to learn and to grow. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says it like this. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, the trials we walk through, they test our faith. Trials test our faith like fire tests and purifies gold and silver. Did you know that's how precious metals are refined? They're put into the fire so that the impurities can be burned out of them? We're the same way. God allows us to go through trials, go through the fire, go through the storms so that he can burn those impurities out of our lives and shape us into the people that he wants us to be. In the refining process, he's stripping us bare, stripping everything away to where there's nothing left but for us to trust in him and depend upon him. And so we're faced with the choice. Are we going to try to fix it ourselves and rely on us? Or are we going to depend on him? Are we going to keep asking the question, why? And then saying, how do I do it? Or are we going to look to him to see what he's trying to do in us? Romans 5, 3-6 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. I hate that word in the scripture. We can rejoice too when we run into trials. Are you kidding me? How many of you jump up and down for joy when you run into trials? When something doesn't go right? I don't know that that's really what he's trying to say. I think what he's saying is the attitude in which you look at it makes all the difference in the world. We can look at the trials and the problems that we face because we know they're going to have benefit in our lives. It doesn't mean we're going to be excited about it because we're going to go through a hard time. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they de- help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Our trials develop our character. They develop our character and they give us confident hope of our salvation. But go back to that last verse for a minute because I don't want you to miss this. Timing is everything. When we were utterly helpless, when we hit the end of our rope, when things didn't make sense, when we felt like we were going down with a ship, Christ came at just the right time. And I think that's how it often is in the storms and the trials that we face. He shows up when we're finally ready, when the things have been stripped away, when some of the impurities have been burned away, and we're finally ready for him to shape us into the person he wants us to be. Trials develop our character. Last week Dave was sharing the story about their adoption process with Alex. And it was, it was a cool story to listen to of, the struggle that they went through, the storm that they went through, but to see how God was so faithful within the story. But if I'm being honest, I get to the end of the story and, and I hear that and I go, yeah, but what happens if you don't get him back? What would have happened if God hadn't blessed them with Alex? If they had had to give him up? Then how do you react? And it makes me think about stories in my own life. My oldest daughter, when she was a toddler, fell and hit her head and had to have emergency surgery and they had to 
remove a piece of her skull to take pressure off of her brain, and it was a life and death kind of moment. And God was miraculous in that, and he saved her, and she's recovered fully, and it's been this amazing journey. But I look back at that night, and those few weeks that we experienced that, and I see how God strengthened my faith, and I see how he built into me in those times. But I also ask the question, what if? What if God hadn't saved my daughter that night? What would have happened to my faith? Would I have still trusted God completely? Would I still have been able to look at him and say, I know this is part of your plan and I, I'm trusting you even though it hurts? I'd like to say yes. If I'm honest, I don't know. What about other storms that other people have walked through where their daughter didn't survive? What if God was using that to strengthen their faith the same as he saved my daughter and strengthened mine? What are you talking about? See, we don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to us as humans because with our perspective being so limited, we can't begin to see how God could possibly take someone's life and yet that be a faith-building experience, be something where he's trying to grow someone. But we can't see from God's perspective. Just like when we're disciplining our kids, our kids can't possibly see the perspective that we see. We're trying to teach them something because we look at where they're going in life and we go, I've been there, I've done that, I know how that ends, I don't want you to go through that. I want you to make a better decision than I made. I don't want you to experience the pain that I experienced. I don't want you to have to deal with the consequences that I did. And so you're trying to teach your child. And how many times is God looking at us saying the same thing? I know you don't understand. I know this doesn't make any sense. But I'm trying to teach you something in this. And I need you to trust me. And I need you to depend upon me even when the circumstances don't turn out like you think they should, even when you pray for something to happen and it goes the opposite direction, will you trust me then? Will you depend on me then? How many of you read the TBA email this past week? Okay, all ten of you are going to enjoy this story because you've already read it. The rest of you can go back and read your email this next week so you know what's going on. Brian shared this cool story about the refiner's fire in the email. And I thought it was just so, it was powerful for this morning. But it was talking about how the, this group was going through this study and they were reading in Malachi about the refiner's fire and how he was refining us like he refines silver, like a silversmith refines silver. And so the lady said, well, I want to research this. And so she calls up the silversmith and says, can I come and watch you? Just be a part of what you're doing and see how you refine the silver and ask you questions. Sure, come on. And so she goes in to watch, and the silversmith takes the silver, and he, he puts it in a container, and he holds it right in the middle of the fire, the hottest part of the fire. And I mean, picture this. This is a blazing furnace with, like, the clear flames in the middle that are so hot, and that's where he puts the silver, and he holds it, and he watches it. And you can see it start to boil and start to bubble, and things begin to happen in the silver. And he's watching as the impurities burn out of the silver, and they come to the surface. And so she watches him go through this process, and after a while, he pulls it from the fire and he begins to mold it into what he wants it to be. She says, well, 
you know, why, why is it that you do all of this? What, tell me about the process. And he says, well, I have to put it in the hottest part of the fire because it takes that to burn the impurities out of it, to separate, and I don't understand all the chemical composition, but it takes that super heat to burn it all apart and separate it. She says, yeah, but can't you hold it in the fire too long? Yeah, you can absolutely ruin the silver by holding it in the fire too long. Well, how do you know when to take it out? And he says, oh, that's the easy part. The silver's ready to be pulled out of the fire when I can see my reflection in it. And I thought about that and I said, that's exactly how God is with us. Sometimes he puts us in the hottest part of the fire because he's trying to burn the impurities out of our lives. And here's what happens. When we're the silver and we're stuck in the fire, we're looking at it going, God, where are you? Why aren't you with me? Why are you letting me be in this fire? And we think he's abandoned us and he's looked away from us and he's not walking with us when in reality he's paying more attention to us than he ever has before because this is the crucial moment. Because if you allow it to sit there too long, the silver's ruined. But when he sees his reflection, he pulls it out. And it's just right. And the impurities have been burned out of it. And it's the same way with our lives. When God begins to see his image reflected in us, that's when the discipline is working that's when changes are happening in our lives. That's when we're becoming the creation that he wants us to be. And when we think he's abandoned us, in reality he's watching us closer than he's ever watched before. He's holding on to us. You know, there's a cool story in Acts that leads into this, and, and I'll give you just a little bit of context as we jump into it. But Paul and Silas are in Rome, and, and they're going through and they're preaching and they're doing the things God's called them to do, and there's this woman that just keeps nagging them, keeps bothering them, keeps calling after them and, and just interrupting the things that they're doing. And, and Paul recognizes that she is possessed by an evil spirit. And she's a slave girl and she's been used by her masters to be able to be a fortune teller. And so they're making money off of her. And he finally gets tired of it. And Paul turns to her and he casts the evil spirit out of her. Well, what's going to happen? Of course, her owners get mad because here's our source of income that just went down the drain because of what Paul did. So they grab Paul and Silas and they take them to the city court and they go, these guys are causing a disturbance. They're causing all kinds of problems. There's an uproar in the city. We've got to do something about it. And so we pick up the story in chapter, 20, in chapter 16, verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now let's pause there for a moment. There's a lot more to this story, but I want to stop here. Put yourself in Paul and Silas' shoes for a minute. These guys are Roman citizens. They have rights. But yet, they've been brought before the city council. They've been wrongly accused... They were told, they basically said they were doing something that they weren't doing. They weren't causing any problems. In fact, they're doing what God's asked them to do. And they're creating good in the city. But they're brought before the city council. They're wrongly accused, wrongly tried. They're beaten severely with rods. And then not just thrown into jail, they're thrown into the inner dungeon in the bottom part with chains on them where they can't escape. Now what are you doing if that's you? I can tell you I'm not singing hymns and praying. In that moment, I'm going, what the heck, God? Why am I here? How did this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? Isn't that how we normally react to those kinds of things? But yet, 
They're in that moment singing hymns and praying. And they responded to their trial very differently. I want to explore that. Let's see if we can figure out why they're doing that. The story continues in verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Now just to give you a little context of what's going on, you've got to understand where the Roman soldier is coming from. He was tasked with keeping these guys in jail, and his life depended upon it. And so when the jail doors threw open and the chains fell off and he woke up to find out all this was going on, of course he assumed that they were running, that they were all gone. And he knew what was going to happen to him. The Romans were excellent at execution. And it was gross and terrible every single time. And so he knew what was going to happen. And so he looked at it and said, I have no choice. I have to take my own life because that will hurt a whole lot less than the persecution that's going to come at me from the Romans, from his fellow soldiers. But Paul stops him and says, no, we're here. Let us talk to you. You don't have to take your life. We're here. Now again, put yourself in Paul and Silas' shoes. You focused on God enough that you were able to pray and sing and God shows up in an amazing way and there's an earthquake and the doors of your prison fall open and your chains fall off. What do you do? I'm not waiting for the Roman soldier. I'm running. Get out of Rome. There's no way. Let's get out of here, right? But what do Paul and Silas do? They stay. They're still there in the jail. And they see an opportunity to do something. They were focused on God in the midst of their trial instead of worrying about how they were going to fix it. See, my reactions, they're the normal human reaction. How can I fix this? How do I get out of this situation? How do I get away from the pain? But they were focused on God and what He was saying and what He was doing in those moments. And they didn't know what was coming. They didn't see this as an opportunity. God hadn't given them some inside plan where they went, oh, we're going to be beaten and thrown in jail so we can reach this jailer. It's all part of the plan. I'm just going to have to endure the pain. God didn't tell them that. They looked at it the same as you and I would have looked at it. They were scared. They were hurting. They had been beaten. They were in prison. They didn't know what was going to happen. But yet they chose to trust in God anyway. Why is it that they could react like that? Why could they trust Him the way they could? I think it's because they saw God as the anchor for their souls, the way it talks about in Hebrews 6. They had already ridden this rodeo before. They'd been down this road. They had been through other trials and other storms and they had seen how God had been faithful and how He had showed up for them. They had seen Him prove Himself over and over and over. And so instead of them jumping in and trying to take care of it, they stepped back and went, Oh, God must be doing something. This sure stinks, but He's obviously involved in it. So let's focus on Him. Let's see what He's doing. Let's trust Him to carry us, even when it hurts. They knew that God was faithful. See, they had been refined to a place of complete dependence upon God. 
They were depending on him fully for him to show up, for him to be faithful, for him to carry them through the situation they were walking through. And that only comes by walking through the process and being refined time in and time again. The impurities being burnt away, the trust being built, being stripped bare to where all they could do was trust. Full dependence on God. What's that even mean? I mean, when I think about that, I flash back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and creation before sin entered the world. And I see this picture of Adam and Eve completely depending upon God for everything. Every need that they had, he was taken care of. He was faithful to all of it. And when did all that change? It changed as sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve came to a place where they decided, well, we're not going to rely on God anymore. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to eat the fruit from that tree so that we understand it better and so that we can do it, so that we can figure it out. We want to be like God. In essence, we want to be our own God. And it's the sin that has plagued us forever since that time. And we fall into the same trap time and time and time again where we rely on us instead of relying on God. And God is constantly refining us burning those impurities away, allowing us to go through storms, allowing us to go through trials so that He can shape us into the person He wants us to be, so that we can reflect His image. And does it hurt? Yes. And are some storms a lot worse than others? Yes. Because there's times that we walk through storms where we go, oh, no biggie, I got this one. And then there's times where they put us on our knees immediately and you feel hopeless and lost. And in all of them, God is refining us and shaping us into the person that He wants us to be. He loves us. He loves us with a covenant love, and we don't even begin to understand what that means. And if I had three weeks, I couldn't take the time to explain it all. I would encourage you to study what it means, covenant love, the covenant relationship that God has with us. Research that. Study some more on your own. Because it's different than anything we understand in today's society. We look at thing, a covenant being like a contract. And contracts, you know, uh, we break contracts all the time. No big deal. But a covenant was something that your life literally depended upon. If you made a covenant agreement, you were saying, I'm going to die before I break the terms of this covenant. And so God makes a covenant with Abraham that it represents, is representative for all of us. Where he says, if I don't meet the terms, I will surely die. And if you don't meet the terms... I will surely die. Wait a minute. That's a one-sided agreement. And it is. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. Because God made that covenant with us. And when we broke it because of our sin, He had to send Jesus to die for us to make the covenant right. That's how much He loves us. And you think He doesn't have the ability to discipline us a little bit and teach us something and grow us into the person that we need to be? So what question are you asking? Are you stuck in that pattern like my daughter was where you're just yelling, why? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? I didn't do anything. Or are you asking what? God, what are you doing in me? What is it that you're shaping and forming in me? Maybe the better question, who are you relying on? When you face the storms, when the trials come, are you depending on you? Or are you depending on God? Who are you relying on? Band and prayer team, you guys come on.
We have cards out on the stage again this week. If you were here last week, you saw this once before or even participated in it. But I would encourage you to do a similar thing that you did last week. If you're going through a storm, if you're facing a tough time, and I don't care if it's big or small, if it's your storm, it's big, right? That, that's the difference in a big storm and a little storm, is if it's mine or yours. If you're going through a storm, come and share that on the card. And if you're willing and want to write your name so someone can pray specifically for you by name, do that. If you want to remain anonymous, that's okay. Don't put a name on it. And you can drop them in these bigger brown baskets. But then I'm going to encourage others of you to come and take some of those cards and be praying for these people walking through the storms. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're going through a storm too. You still can come and take a card and pray for someone else. In fact, sometimes it helps us to have a little perspective, to be praying for someone else's storm as we're walking through our own to see that we're not alone in the things we're walking through and we all have struggles and we all have our battles that we're facing. The bigger thing is this. I want to challenge you this morning to make a commitment to depend on God instead of on you. And that takes surrender. And so for some of you, maybe you just need to come and kneel in front of the stage in a position of surrender to say, God, I'm tired of trying to fix it myself. I want you to fix it. I want you to take care of it. And I'm going to trust you no matter what the outcome, good or bad, from my perspective. I'm going to trust you that it's what's best for me. And I'm going to trust that you're walking with me. You're just like that silversmith who's staring intently at my circumstances and waiting for the right moment to step in and pull me out of the fire. For some of you, maybe you'll be surrendering for the first time, coming to God and just inviting him into your heart and your life. Come do that. Bring a friend with you. For some of you, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you're just making that decision this morning to say, you know, I've been walking through some storms where I keep coming back to me instead of God. And I need to shift my focus and depend upon Him. Come kneel before the stage. Bring a friend with you. Come pray with one of the guys off of our prayer team. I'll be up front here as well to pray with you. But make a decision this morning to depend upon Him, to rely upon Him instead of you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your amazing love for us. And I thank you for how you care so deeply for us that you choose to discipline us. That you choose to allow us to experience tough things sometimes because you're refining us and molding us and shaping us into the person you want us to be. I thank you that you love us so much that you won't leave us where we are, but you're continually refining. God, help us to be open to that and to depend upon you even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we can't begin to understand, help us to trust and to place our faith in you and to rely upon you. Speak to our hearts now. In your name we pray. Amen.